what we do here is go back, 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 back. Hello and welcome back to Unfiltered Tips with myself, Kath, and my friend Rachel share our experiences as PhD students in the UK. Each episode will bring you updates from our lives in and out of the lab, as well as discussing a topic relevant to PhD life in more depth. And this week we want to chat about imposter syndrome. But first, let's find out how the last two weeks have gone. So Rachel, how are you? I'm okay. Um, Yeah, I'm okay. I'm sort of deep in. Uh, lit review oh yeah when's that due 9th of April oh soon um, so yeah quite soon worryingly soon um but yeah it will get done it will get done it's just always there at the back of my mind um how are you feeling about it have you enjoyed the process um yes I have I do enjoy I do enjoy reading to be fair and I, I do, I do, like, I don't mind writing. I think I just struggle to get a good flow in my writing, to be honest. But yeah. Um, I also feel like the deadline, lit review deadline, zaps any fun out of reading. Because you're like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I would agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I don't want to feel relieved when it's in because it's a really good thing to do. But I think I will. <laughs> How about you? How are you, Kath? Yeah, I'm good. Um, had like quite a chill week last week because all my experiments got moved back to this week. So this week is a bit mental, but um, <laughs> I missed nothing last week apart from read. So like what Rachel has to do but without the fear of the <laughs> deadline. I'm just reading because I want to. Um, but yeah, like... Other than that, I think pretty good. A bit anxious doing a big cytop experiment. I say big, it's really quite small. I'm testing a couple antibodies. So it's really very, very small. Go big or go home, Kath. Go big or go home. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first time I will have put antibodies down the Helios. I'm a bit jealous, actually. I want to put some antibodies down the Helios. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll know when we next record if if it worked or not um I've done a lot of work in the last three months or so optimizing the cell prep process um for Cytoff so this will be like the first of a few more optimization steps that are hopefully going to focus on optimizing the panel rather than the prep process so hopefully the prep process is ready now I'm just going to be like fiddling around with the panel um and making sure it's got everything on it that I want. So, yeah, that's quite exciting. <laughs> Rachel, how about you? Yeah, it sounds great. Um, you got anything that's going well? Start with positives this week. I finally feel like I'm getting to grips with the Fortessa and using it on my own. Um, yeah, uh, I'd. I was mostly okay. I had one bad bad time with it but that was kind of you know I think that was always there was always going to be one time where I messed up um yeah I I mean I think I'm getting there I'm getting there I have a an experiment tomorrow so and like 
basically like once a week, every week, every week for the next four weeks. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes, and that'll be the first, I guess. Hmm. Proper data, I get. Oh my gosh, you'll beat me to any proper data. <laughs> if it's any good, yeah, I don't know. It could be minor work. Maybe I'll forget to put an antibody uh, in or something. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I hadn't even thought. Like, yeah, I'm like over a year and a half in. I don't actually have data yet. <laughs> um, maybe I'll forget. Maybe I'll forget to. Um, we have to change the filters. But in the oh, yeah. when we when we do our run, maybe I'll forget to change that and then lose a channel. You know, <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure, you won't. I'm sure you won't. Trust yourself. <laughs> um, anything gone wrong at all? Any struggles this week? Past <laughs> many, many, many struggles. Um, I don't. Nothing's gone like nothing. Uh, nothing like hilariously. Nothing hilarious has happened. You know, I haven't made any like really funny mistakes. Um, I think. I don't know. I feel like it's been like a week of like low key feeling a bit anxious about stuff though I don't know that's not a mm. barrier but no I, I kill know. you we'll see how we we'll see what happens with that yeah I definitely feel that um got a nice blank question block um oh not a nice blank one yeah well it's not nice I was looking for EGF um EGFR but um I kind of just chucked it on as a whim because I had a spare I had a bit of lysate left over and I was like oh I'll look and see if that's uh, differentially expressed to see maybe that's why the signaling's a bit different. Sorry, had it in the box, put it on. Yeah, got nothing. It turns out this antibody is particularly hard to block for, and you have to change the methanol concentration in the transfer buffer. So uh. I really just should have planned the experiment before, like the day of doing it, and spoken to someone yeah. before doing it, rather than just being like, "This will work." Like, um, so that's a lesson for me anyway. Um, I feel like I'm just starting to take a bit more ownership of my project um, and like being a bit more active in coming up with like research questions and things I really want to pursue. Um, I think up until now, it's kind of been driven a lot by what my supervisors wanted, what my postdocs are able to teach me. Um, and now I feel like it's transitioning a little bit to like, oh, I've read this paper and this is really interesting. So I think if I design an experiment that looks like this and me taking that to my supervisor, um, which what I've heard from older PhD students in my lab is that that transition does typically happen in the second half of your second year. So I'm on track for that. So yay. <laughs> Yeah, even feeling some ownership of the project. Um, it's really only been the last like week and a half where I've actually started to feel that. So. <laughs> nice. I thought I'd at least day. mention it because it's like, oh my gosh, there's hope. <laughs> Long may it continue. Long may it continue. So I guess today we are talking about imposter syndrome and I guess the reason why is because I guess through chatting with you, Kath, uh, mm -hmm. we've both realised this is something we've experienced yeah. uh, at different times, but also maybe in different ways as well. Yeah. Uh, but I 
good place to start, I think, would be the definition of imposter syndrome. So what exactly is it? And it is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalised fear of being exposed as a fraud. And it most commonly happens to people who are, you know, starting new positions or lots of, you know, kind of a new challenge, I think. Um, yeah, so some of the typical symptoms, like Rachel mentioned in the definition, is feeling like a fraud. Um, her one person described it as they were just waiting for someone to, like, knock on the door, turn up with a clipboard and be like, right, you found out, you've got to go get a different job. <laughs> like, well, um, There's also the, if you're constantly thinking you're a fraud, you often, therefore, like, don't measure success. So you can attribute the successes you do have to luck. And then, like Rachel, also in the definition, that fear of being found out um, is quite prevalent. Um, I think we wanted to mention that uh, while imposter syndrome is often thought as being something that only women experience, it's actually not limited at all by that. Like anyone, any age, race, sex or gender or profession can feel like an imposter, uh, even Michelle Obama has said that she felt like an imposter, which like, blows my mind because it's Michelle Obama. So we're really going to talk about it as how we've experienced it as PhD students. Yeah, hopefully it's helpful. Yeah, exactly. So we'll start off <laughs> kind of Rachel. Um, have you had any like particular experiences that have contributed to you feeling like an imposter? Um, either like in your undergraduate or like as a PhD student? Um, yes, I mean, I would say yes. I think uh, kind of on top of like a tendency maybe to feel that way anyway. But mm. um, yeah, I think two experiences come to mind. One, I think, was a seminar that I went to in my final year of undergrad. And um, there was a speaker who didn't clearly I don't think he realized uh there were undergraduate students in the room um he wasn't from the UK and he kind of just said at the end oh like you get a lot of undergraduate students in your labs here in the UK um that's a real shame like they they come along every September they don't work very hard and uh I don't know I think like yeah it kind of felt like I guess being like oh you shouldn't be here anyway so I guess that was kind of yeah maybe contributed to me feeling like I shouldn't be there yeah um, yeah uh, I think the other one was actually in a, a PhD uh, applications tutorial um, uh, the group leader who sort of came along to speak to us kind of said that what he looked for in a PhD student was someone who wouldn't give him any trouble and uh, I think that more just terrified me than anything else. Like I instantly became super stressed and felt like I had to learn as much as possible, as quickly as possible in order to mm-hmm. not be a trouble to a supervisor when I started my PhD, if I was lucky enough to get one. Um, yeah. So again, I don't know, I guess it compounded the feeling that like, oh, oh, I don't know, I felt like I wasn't good enough. I suppose yeah um, yeah it like played into like pre-existing beliefs about yourself yeah yeah I do think like because I do think there's a ten like I do think 
it played into a tendency, I would say. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. So you've said mentioned some specific experiences. Do you feel like an imposter all the time? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think not all the time. I think if I am able to have a laugh with other people in the lab or make a joke or, you know, actually like connect with other people in the lab well and or just in the area well um uh I think that actually really helps alleviate that feeling because you don't feel like it, you're, you're not alone right you're actually you know you have you're having like you're actually forging a relationship with other people forging a working relationship forging a connection with others um I think that's really helpful and that's those are times when I don't feel like an imposter um yeah uh I so no I don't feel it all the time that's good but I do get it in like acute waves I would say very acute waves uh-huh okay so when you have those like acute waves or feelings of, of being an imposter how does that kind of affect your behavior or your work like your everyday kind of experience as a student um uh, I, I actually I think it I think it like decreases your ability to perform well, perhaps in a way, not all the time, but I think if you let it get too much, mm -hmm. it does. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think it, I lose my like sense of humour if I am really in a hole of like feeling like I shouldn't be there or just like, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So do you feel like... Um... I don't know about I've kind of felt this but like the more you feel like an imposter the more like perfectionism digs in um mm. I don't know if that like and then because you're so afraid of making mistakes you don't you don't get on with something because you're like <laughs> I don't know if you found that I definitely remember feeling like super terrified of making mistakes in my masters for sure yeah um I mean do you feel like there are kind of experiences you've had that have helped like specifically at your PhD or at your master's that have helped like alleviate those symptoms or those feelings in the moment like um has someone able to come alongside you or help you or well I mean I think like that's the key right to actually say to someone that you are feeling that way um, because no one else unless you tell someone that you're feeling that way or talk to them about it they're not going to know right really um, yeah so I think yeah I think it's good to chat about it um, and then people can come alongside you yeah definitely and you know encourage you and keep you going yeah I was saying like I was doing uh, some research for this episode and it talked about how we all like every single person struggles with feelings of being an imposter but like doesn't know how to voice them and so you never really know like what roadblocks or hoops like your colleagues have had to jump through to get to where they're at so you're kind of like comparing your own internal monologue to like their external performance and it's like not a fair comparison yeah I these are like I get I do get quite acute waves of it where it is quite all-consuming and 
quite a physical sensation for me as well I think maybe oh, that's interesting like like a like a knot in my stomach as well it's kind of like added it's I think it ties in with anxiety <laughs> yeah well. yeah I think like they say imposter syndrome isn't really like a recognized mental health disorder but like can lead to like generalized anxiety and depression so uh, yeah oh, okay so I yeah I mentioned that you your experience might differ because we've talked yeah about yeah elaborate tell us more Gaff. gosh I feel like my journey with imposter syndrome is just linked so strongly to my journey with perfectionism mm. and so like whenever I felt I've needed to be the most perfect there's also times where I've like struck suffered with like loads of imposter syndrome so um I felt like areas and spaces that I was in where actually I wasn't expected to be the best I actually didn't suffer with imposter syndrome very much so I went to quite a prestigious um school for sixth form and it's the kind of place where like you might expect me to feel like an imposter because um I'd come from like a really normal school I was only there for two years it was mostly boys um and actually I didn't feel like an imposter there because I kind of didn't feel like I had this expectation on me that had to be amazing um whereas like at uni and then getting my PhD, I felt way more like an imposter um, because I definitely felt like there was so much I had to keep up. And if I missed a grade or I like did something like that, I didn't get like what I was expecting, then I felt like a complete fraud. Um, and I often felt like the more negative my self-talk was, the more I felt like an imposter. So. For example, I like made a really small mistake. Uh, like I ordered the wrong media. Um, and so I got really in a negative headspace about that. And that spiraled into, I don't deserve to be in this PhD. I'm a fraud. I shouldn't be here. Mm, I could definitely relate to that. <laughs> it felt like the imposterness came after like a negative self-talk event rather than like negative self-talk came from feeling like a fraud um I don't know if that's still imposter yeah, syndrome I see what you mean. but I feel like it might be um I think ultimately the feeling's the same isn't it yeah yeah like one of my major ones is I was very fortunate to have three interviews and get three offers um my brain does mental gymnastics to say like oh that just proves like I'm really really good at interviewing so therefore like I'm really good at like defrauding people into thinking I'm competent um mm, mm. I was actually telling my mum about this and she was like oh I've just always told you that you were such a good interviewer like as like a praise point and clearly I've internalized this as a reason to be like an imposter yeah. I remember I mean I relate to that as well actually like I feel I, after my interview like when I found out I actually got mm. got got onto the program I um I was buzzing obviously I was just yeah. like I was yeah I was kind of yeah just ecstatic I was like I, I can't believe I've done it uh, like, I can't believe I've got a PhD program place and that quickly descended into how on earth did I trick 
this panel of four people into giving me a PhD place. <laughs> exactly that. Uh, I would say within the space of a day. <laughs> yeah. And you completely discount like all the hard work you did to even get the interview in the first place. Like, um, it's so it's so bizarre. But yeah, I definitely agree. And then it's one of those like callback thoughts that I have if I do something wrong in my PhD I'll be like oh there we go this is further evidence I can bank as proof that I don't deserve to be here um, mm, so, yeah yeah um I think that's another yeah. big part of it actually sorry that's just reminded me like yeah yeah would you say that you remember your negative experiences more like you weigh you put more weight on those than good yeah. things like 100 yeah I would agree either I, I do yeah I think what was really interesting to me like I did some research in America and as much as I didn't enjoy being there one of the biggest takeaways from living over there was like how much they celebrate success um like the epitome of that is the kindergarten graduation like they are celebrating a five-year-old like going to school like finishing preschool (laughs) going to school and like we look at that and laugh as like people in the UK, but actually that is like such an example of like celebrating the pure achievement of just getting through something. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of one of the things I tried to bring home a bit was like, can I be better at celebrating my successes? Um, mm. Now I'm not brilliant at it all the time because I think, to be honest, the weather just kind of puts me off half the time. But um, like, I, I think there's something to be said of like, how much do you like? Do you weight each of your successes evenly to how you weight your failures? Um, which I think is sure. one of the things that really helps me personally is like weighing up the evidence. If I have a thought that like is oh I don't deserve to be here, or if I make a mistake, that person will think I don't deserve to be here. Kind of the first thing I do is right. What's the evidence that supports that thought, and what's the evidence that like counters that thought? Yeah. Um, and like in doing that, you're like not only separating yourself from the thought, but also giving yourself the opportunity like we're scientists like we're giving ourselves the opportunity to ration something out um in a way that we would do with any other kind of like statement what do you do that helps you right for me I mean for me I think I probably like just mentioned it earlier I do think for me it's like having having a bit of a laugh and like sort of connecting with people in other ways I think imposter syndrome is just a very lonely place and yeah the second you kind of can get on the same level as someone yeah it, it, I do think I just think that helps a lot I'm actually reading I'm reading a book called The Gifts of Imperfection by Brené Brown and um I don't know if you've read it have you read it I actually haven't no I haven't. it's so good but anyway she like I don't know I feel like all imposters feel shame about where they're at right like do you feel mm. shameful of like if something goes wrong or if you like I don't know, if you feel like a fraud, you feel like you don't deserve to be there. Like, anyway, one of the things she says right up front about how to tackle that feeling is, like, you need to have courage, um, you need to have connection, you need to have compassion. Um, And she calls those three things the gift of imperfection and how, like, you have to have courage to talk to someone and connect with them 
and then they need to be compassionate to what you're feeling. Um, and so I feel like tackling imposter syndrome, like what you're saying, like it sounds like the same kind of thing. You need to have that connection and like someone you're talking to, like will hopefully have the same experience and be able to be like empathetic. Um, we recently talked about imposter syndrome with the big boss of our institute. Oh yeah. And he admitted, he admitted that he still feels like an imposter. And he's been the boss of the institute for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder that, like, as in, does it get worse? Over time, if you progress, does it get better? Do you just get better at dealing with it? I don't know. We'll come back to you in 25 years. With that. <laughs> yeah, age will hopefully bring us some perspective. But from what I know of my bosses, um, they still feel imposter syndrome. So, yay. <laughs> I thought we'd also cover some of the things that like experts have said to help reduce imposter syndrome. Um, we've got a little bit of a list. I've also got a bunch of videos that I watched that I've kind of compiled this from. So they'll be in the show notes if you want to check any of them out. So we're going to go through each one um, and maybe discuss it a little bit deeper. Um, so the first one is listen to all feedback you're given without judgment and give equal weighting to positive and negative feedback. So Rachel, do you do that? <laughs> Do you feel like uh, <laughs> I think that's really hard to do. Uh, I think yeah. for me, I definitely put way more weight on. You know what? Actually, maybe not so much as feedback. Mm. I think it's my mistakes that I remember. Yeah, it's 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 less. I don't know. Like I'm all for feedback. Like, please tell me what is good and what is bad about a piece of work that I've done, yeah. <laughs> or please give me pointers on how to present better um, because I know I need them. But like. Yeah, it's definitely me remembering mistakes uh-huh. more than like, oh, you know, that went okay. And actually, that worked. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, like, I actually find feedback really hard. Um, like, when we do practice talks, so like before we give seminars and stuff, like, I always come out of those with like pages and pages of notes from my like teammates about what needs to change. And in that moment, I just feel like the biggest fraud, like I don't deserve to be there. Um, and I don't like I don't deserve to present my work. Um, and mm. like I have to remember, like within all those streams of comments, there are many positives um, about my work. But um it's yeah, I do and like I feel like if I actually accept it. Yeah. Um the second uh, piece of advice the experts uh, <laughs> say to do is to remind yourself of the reasons you do deserve to be where you are. Keep a list of things you've learned or skills you've gained so you can see real progress. Do you do I, this, Kat? I do do that. <laughs> um, I have a skills bank where I like write down all my skills, even if it's like the tiniest, minute step in a skill then I like write down that I've done that so that I can at least like I think like especially I don't know like doing a PhD is a long slog like I joke about it it's like four years to do four experiments um but that means that like you can get a year and a half in like me and not really have any of your own data 
to show for like the amount of work you've put in um so and that at the end they makes me feel like I don't deserve to be here so actually this was yeah I think like one of the things I started doing after a postdoc suggested I do it um and it has really really helped because if I have those moments where I feel like a fraud I just go back and I look and I'm like okay what actually can I do that I couldn't do at the start of this program um what about you do you have do you do that will you want to do that no that's a really good idea um I do not do this but I really should I 100% recommend because I think even in like the last two weeks you could probably think of a bunch of things you've learned um but like the act of learning doesn't really produce anything but yeah it helps um okay so the next thing is to avoid comparing yourself to others um which I think is really really hard uh every PhD project is different so you can't really make fair comparisons like even within the same lab um but it doesn't stop you doing it <laughs> you had like any experiences like that I know you're on a like quite a big master's program as well but there's was there like instances where you compared yourself to other master's students or um you know what actually or are you going to uh, tell me you actually know how to stop doing this kind, kind, kind of as in uh, yeah I think I did um I mean my master's project I think was quite different to others but everyone's yeah everyone's master's project was different so it was I did try and keep in mind that like, not to, to compare but yeah some of us would be in way more than others some of us would be a lot busier than others um yeah, I felt like I felt this most acutely literally on the first weekend of my PhD. They drag us all to Lancaster to go listen to everybody talk, um, which includes all of the second year students. So I will be doing this COVID, depending on what the COVID situation is, I will or will not be doing this come September. Um, and I remember listening to this talks um from the student in my lab being like I am literally never going to be able to do that like put me back on the bus take me home I I quit now um (laughs) and yeah I definitely feel that like not being in the lab as late as other people I feel like a bit of a fraud for like clocking off early when it's like no 5 p.m is a suitably reasonable time to leave (laughs) Um, yeah absolutely it's definitely the time you should be leaving <laughs> okay so we kind of talked about this next one a bit already yeah uh this one says feelings don't equal facts weigh up the evidence of how you're actually doing to challenge the feeling of being a fraud do you do that Kat? well I, I did talk about it yeah i do i'm a big proponent of this um, my counselor calls it thought challenging where you like 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 thought feelings come from thoughts so if you're feeling something work out what the thought triggered that like which thought triggered that feeling and then challenge it um yeah because it's like nice yeah how you feel about something is not like a factual thing i don't know like feeling a fraud doesn't mean you're a fraud um but if you let the feeling like sit there for too long it can kind of really really feel like a fact (laughs) Okay, yeah. The next one. Um, if you don't know, don't be afraid to ask for help. 
own where you lack in competence. Uh, so I think that was really interesting because, yeah, the like flip side of imposter syndrome is you're really afraid to ask for help um, because you're like afraid of being found out. Um, and that can actually result in like more mistakes and more errors and which will result in you feeling more like mm. an imposter. It's a bit of a like vicious cycle. Um, so I definitely feel like that's a big one. Um, I know you clearly from what you said about that PI wanting someone that wasn't going to bother him. How do you feel about asking for help? Um, I, I think I was bad at it in my masters I think I think I would have liked to maybe ask for more help than I did but actually that in terms of like maybe just ask for more advice in general um like actually directly yeah. ask for it um but I sort of didn't um Although I got amazing advice, to be honest, anyway. But um, yeah, I think I, I would have liked to have sort of had a longer chat about those kind of things. Yeah, um, yeah uh, now I am trying to ask the silly question, if I have a silly question, and try not to say, can I ask a question, or this is a stupid question, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. I, like, had the weird rule for myself when I started my PhD that I wasn't allowed to ask the same question twice. Um, like, because mm -hmm. I was, like, clearly it made think I wasn't listening, or I didn't know what I was doing, or I didn't understand... You must learn things the first time and be perfect. <laughs> exactly that, right? Or you are, yeah. don't deserve to be there. I think I've really gotten yeah. over that now. And like, I'm actually, <laughs> maybe I've swung too far the other way. And I'm a bit too cautious and want to get like mm -hmm. all the advice before I embark on something. But I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. I save money if it if it doesn't go wrong nearly as often, which helps my self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> I think in all seriousness, I do think that that does bring up a valid point though. Uh, for instance, like when you say, oh, like I had this thing about not asking yeah. the same question twice. And I'm instantly chiming in with, yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> why are you doing that? that I, I, this is why I think talking to people about it is just super helpful yeah. because it's just easy to lose perspective right you need someone to you do need to talk about it to have someone to be like look actually you're seeing this thing's slightly yeah, wrong definitely. here or this isn't actually the the reality yeah like all the things you kind of tell yourself if you were to say that out loud to somebody else like oh man mm -hmm. you would be like the yeah, worst oh, human gosh, ever like <laughs> saying that to somebody else yeah yeah, I really like this next one. Fake it till you make it. Even if you feel like a fraud, act and think like you deserve to be there and eventually how you feel will catch up. I do like that. Like feelings are the last thing to change. So what, why do you like it? Because I think it just gives you something actionable to do. Like I, rather than sitting in a feeling of feeling like a fraud, just be like, all right, I feel like that, but I'm going to go and act like this. Yeah, kind of acknowledging that I feel like this way but I'm just gonna yeah I'm gonna do it anyway regardless of that feeling <laughs> um, yeah 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 no I get that yeah 
And the last one, which we've kind of mentioned loads already, but it's just to talk about it. Um, telling others how you feel is the best way to help reduce feelings of imposter syndrome. So um, talk to each other. Like we have tonight, talk to each other. Um, do that in your own social circles. Um, talk to your mentors, learn what their experiences are. Um, because I guarantee you they will have also felt imposter syndrome or are currently feeling imposter syndrome. Um, and then if uh, imposter syndrome is kind of resulting in more severe anxiety and getting in the way of how you function, like uh, we do recommend seeing a professional, talking to a therapist or a counsellor, because um, at least from my own experience, they've been uh, incredibly helpful in dealing with kind of combating these feelings. So, When would you say, where's the line there? Do you think oftentimes of like, when is it getting in the way of your day to day? Yeah, I think it's obviously, yeah, it's obviously really personal, but I think um, when you find yourself, I talk a lot, I talked a lot about critical self-talk. So when the vast majority of the thoughts you're having in a day are negative about yourself, I think that would be a time to think about speaking to someone. And then actually it's quite easy to spot where it starts impacting the work in just a PhD setting, um, I found I was less curious about the science. Um, I was less interested in uh, reading um, papers. Um, and I just kind of found that I was less able to do things because I was so paralyzed about like making a mistake. Um, and that's maybe like slightly different. It's maybe more on the perfectionism side, but definitely like that feeling of feeling like a fraud, didn't want to be found out, didn't want to make a mistake, so didn't do anything. Um, and I think that is a really clear impact on your day-to-day functioning. If you're not doing anything because you're so afraid of being found out, I think I would recommend that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where I think like it would be worth even like, like most universities have services you can talk to. So if you're a PhD student in the university, there will be someone you can talk to. Yeah, I think also like other basic stuff, like in terms of yeah. taking care of yourself, like if you're not eating well or you're not sleeping well, kind of because you're finding it like so consuming, I think that's kind of a big sign that maybe it's yeah, a bigger problem definitely. than you think. Yeah, and the, yeah. the real difficulty of imposter syndrome is that actually it shows up in mental health. So if you've got acute imposter syndrome, you might be thinking, oh, I don't have bad enough mental health to warrant help. Like, I'll just be an imposter if I get help. <laughs> so don't listen to that voice. Get help if you need it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll uh, yeah. leave it there. Um, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and found it helpful. It was great uh, to, to chat about uh, such a, a prevalent topic. Uh, any links to videos slash further information about imposter syndrome are in the show notes. Yeah, the show notes, <laughs> yeah. As well as other mental health resources. Uh, yeah, do, do look at mental health resources. There's great websites out there. Um, so sound production and design is by Josh Keeper. So thanks again for listening um, and we'll be back again in two weeks with another episode of Unfiltered Tips. What we do here is go back, 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 back.